Well, I just want to thank you all for coming. And my husband came last night, and he was here for the service. And I said, are you sure there's going to be women in the house of God tomorrow? <laughs> he said, those people are hungry for church. <laughs> so, and look at you guys. I'm so impressed. And, you know, I hear the hours that you were here in church from Sunday to Monday. And that's a lot of hours. But, you know, God has truly... He really has his word for you tonight, a special word for you tonight. And the testimonies completely, completely line up with the word tonight. And so tonight I just want to, um, first of all, thank my pastor and Pastor Josie for giving us the opportunity to be there in Sacramento. Because I don't know if I could really believe in someone who just got married for three months and sent them out. <laughs> But she believed in us and sent us out, and we're doing a great work for the Lord there in Sacramento, and I'm just truly, truly a grateful woman. And so, and I love this church. This is my church. So, all you Sacramento girls, this is my church first. I love, love this church. I love coming back to this church. This is where it all began for me. And so I really counted a privilege to be here tonight to share the word with you. So why don't we go ahead and open up in a word of prayer, and then I'll let you take your seats. Lord, tonight, Jesus, we just come before you, Father. And God, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for bringing us here together tonight, Lord, to hear your word, Father. I thank you for the word that you've deposited in my heart, Lord, for you beautiful women here tonight, Father. Thank you for those beautiful testimonies tonight, Father. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would set me aside, Lord, and just simply use me as your mouthpiece, as your servant tonight, Lord. Oh, Father, I thank you, my God. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for loving me when I didn't even love myself, Lord. And I know tonight that there are some that feel that way. But tonight, Lord, that void will be removed. And I thank you for that victory. In Jesus' name we all say, amen. amen. Go ahead and take your seats. Grab your Bibles with you. Now, I promise I won't keep you here for four hours. <laughs> I promise. I'm not that good. <laughs> but I do know that the Lord has given me a word for tonight. And um, I'm not one to really share a lot of stories when I uh, speak, but like personal stories. But I do have a couple tonight that go along with the message just so that you can get a, um, a view of where... I come from, rather than me going into formal introductions on myself. So tonight, if you would turn to Proverbs 22.6, and in Proverbs 22.6, it reads, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. A lot of mothers should have said amen to that, especially if you have unsaved children, rebellious little two-year-olds, amen? <laughs> The terrible twos, that's me right now. I say amen to that scripture. So tonight, we're going to be looking at three areas that we should be treasuring in our life. Three areas that help get us out of feeling void. Because there's going to be times in our walk where we're going to feel a void. Now, the first thing that, that I believe we should treasure is our testimony. A lot of times, we're very careless with our testimony. A lot of times, we are the ones that come to church and we're one way and go home and we're a different way. Um, a lot of times, we're holy in church and we're evil on the road. Amen? Those of you that like to speed, amen? And a lot of times, we don't realize, we don't stop to think, to ponder that our children and our family are watching us. The rule, uh, the, land of the, the law of the land says, not to use your cell phone and text, right, while you're driving. But how many of us actually do that? And how many of us do it and our children are in our car and they're watching us? And then when they become 16 and they want their driver's license, then we want to go to them and we want to tell them, don't use your cell phone and don't text and drive and don't talk on the phone when you're driving. And all they're hearing in their mind, if they don't tell you, but in their mind all they're hearing is, you do it all the time. <laughs> you did it when I was three years old all the way up to 16. How about strangers? They're watching us. We don't think strangers are watching us. We think when we're in Walmart at the self-scan line and we're like, oh, I could just 
go over the scam bar and just throw it in the bag. And we think no one's watching us, but there's a stranger there just watching. And you're with your Victory Outreach shirt. <laughs> and they're like, she didn't even scan that. Wow. And then when they come out, you're like trying to hand out flyers to people. And like, you just didn't scan. That's called stealing. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Strangers are watching us. How about this? The ultimate person who's watching us. God is watching us. There's been um, couples and um, people that we've known where we known they tell us we're here, but they're really sneaking off with each other. And no one knows. And sometimes when we find them and we, we talk with them and the Lord has revealed to us what was done in secret, and we ask them, hey, where were you guys last night? You didn't go to BJ's, did you? No. Oh, okay. Because we happened to be there and we saw them in the parking lot. <laughs> God will, they're like, how did you know that? How did you know that? God revealed it to us. God showed us. God is always watching, and he will expose what he wants to expose. But we don't walk around in our testimony knowing that God is watching. God is knowing all things. God is seeing everything that we're doing. We're not cautious of that many times. So at home, my question to you tonight is, what are we teaching our children? Maybe you may have adult children. What are you teaching them now? What are we teaching our children? It's so important to realize that our testimony impacts our children's lives for years to come. If, you're not, if your children are not saved tonight and they're adult children, you cannot allow a home to have compromise in it. When you have a home that has compromise in it, they only say, well, mom, you let that happen, so this is why I'm doing this. But, or dad, you know, I don't want to blame all the mothers, amen. Sometimes it's the dads. <laughs> but tonight we're all ladies, amen. So tonight we're going to look at a man whose testimony impacted his daughter. And before we get into his story, there's a feeling that this man had, before I tell you his name. There was a sense of void over his life. Have you ever felt a sense of void over your life? Now, this is different than feeling no purpose in your life. See, if you have no purpose, people will come up to you and they're like, oh, you can do this, you can do that. They see the potential in you. And you start to believe it somewhat, but you're just not operating in it. But when you're feeling void, here's the definition for void. You're unfilled. You're not occupied. You don't even see potential in you. Others aren't even speaking of the potential they see in you. You're not occupied. You contain no matter. You're empty. You're completely lacking. And not too long ago, maybe about three years, I felt this void. And you say, as a pastor's wife, don't you pray? Don't you fast? Don't you read the word? Yes. But when we're believers, we're going to have seasons in our lives where we're going to get attacked with certain things that were our vices in the world. Now, mine was depression. And I remember hearing Pastor Josie share about how when she got depressed and the baby blues hit her when she had her children and that she went into isolation mode. Well, I didn't think that was possible until I had my first child. And I realized how depression had begun to hit me. When I was about 11 years old, suicide would go through my mind a lot. I used to think, if I just end my life, I will be okay. If I just end my life, I will be okay. I used to think, man, the fighting that I hear in my house with my parents, maybe I'm to blame. Maybe I'm the reason they're fighting. And it was ugly. It was an ugly feeling for an 11-year-old to feel. But how many of you know we do have children that do feel this way? And so at times, I would feel this way. But three years ago, I felt this void in my life. Here I was being used of the Lord. I thought I was a great wife, a great mother, a great pastor's wife. Amen, Sacramento women? <laughs> but I felt a void. I felt completely unoccupied. I felt completely unfilled. And I could not figure. I was praying, and I still could not figure out why I felt this way. And then one day I went to visit my mom, and it was her birthday, and we're sitting there talking, and she didn't know I had been feeling this way, and she begins to share a story with me. 
And this story took me out of being void. She shared with me, I'm from New York, and I was born in Brooklyn, New York. My sister is Queens in Manhattan, so we were in the boroughs there. And my mom, we had, uh, she just had me and my older sister, and we had, she, my dad had been looking for a house to rent. Nobody would open up their doors. Nobody would rent to them. Until one day, this Nigerian pastors, these Nigerian pastors said, we have a basement. And in New York, there's, everybody has a basement. So they said, we'll rent out the basement for you guys. You must come. You cannot be out here in the cold with your children. So my mom went. She took it up. She took the offer, and we moved in. About two weeks being into that house, the basement, my mom says, she wasn't saved, and my mom says that she felt something talking to her and telling her, get your kids, pack your stuff, leave this place now. It's cold outside. It's winter months. My dad's at work. So my mom does exactly what this voice is telling her to do. She has no clue this is the Holy Spirit talking to her. So she packs everything up. She takes me and my sister out. We're wandering the streets now, homeless, have nowhere to go. And as we're wandering, she contacts my dad and says, we moved out. We're going to have to try and find a hotel to spend the night in. He says, why did you leave? We just got there. She said, she calls him viejo, so that means old man. So she says, viejo, I don't know. I heard this voice, and it told me to leave and to pack everything and to take the girls. So I did. Did you know that that night, the pastors also left the house with their families, and they went to church that night? But that night, my mom said, oh, we can't even get a hotel. Let's just go back to their house. I was hearing things. The moment she went back to that house, the house was burnt down to the ground. An electrical fire started in the basement. And imagine, I was asleep in the little crib that they had. And my mom bundled me up and took me asleep. And when she shared that story to me, it broke me. Because I came to that party completely void. And when she shared that, it was like the Lord speaking directly to me and saying, don't you know I had a calling on your life since back then? You were only weeks old. And I had a plan for your life. And it just, all of a sudden, I said, I know who I am. I got, I pushed the chair from the table. I got up and said, oh, mom, why have you never shared this story with me? What is the matter? You kept that away from me. And she said, I don't know. I don't know, mija. It, I just remembered it right now. What a powerful story, mom. Thank you. I needed to hear that. I left that night completely rejuvenated, completely filled. See, at times we are going to feel like our life is meaningless. We're going to feel at times like it wouldn't even matter if I were to die right now. It wouldn't even matter if I didn't show up, if I just stopped going to church. No one will even notice that I'm not there. Void makes you feel like dying. Void takes you into a deep depression. Void gets you to the point where you're isolated. You don't want anyone around because you feel so insignificant. And void, when I was riding my bike not too long ago, two weeks ago, the Lord showed me the word void and, and the whole concept of this. Because as I was riding my bike, I was praising the Lord. I was talking to Jesus. And I said, man, God, thank you when you took me out three years ago from that voided feeling God, you're so great. As I just kept rejoicing and praising the Lord for that moment in my life and thanking God for who he was, he started giving me revelation about the word void. Have you ever received in the mail one of those checks that says $100,000? And you open it and you're like, wow. And then right across it in big red letters, void. And I got that when I got home from my bike ride. <laughs> And I laughed because the Lord had just given me this revelation. And in the revelation the Lord had shown me, it was that's how we feel sometimes. We are that check. 
We are priceless to God, but a lot of times we don't realize that we're priceless and we walk around with this big red stamp on us, void. And people look at us and they don't even want to say, oh, 100,000, because when we see those checks coming, what do we do? Oh, it's junk mail. It's junk mail. And that's how we feel people look at us. Uh, pass her up. Uh, junk mail. Junk mail. She's junk mail. But God showed me that because he is the author and finisher of our faith, he is the check signer. Hello, somebody. So when I realized that, I said, Lord, I'm priceless. Why? Because your name is signed on this check. I can do anything I set myself out to do through your power, Lord, because you signed my life. You signed on the dotted line and made my life valid. See, the voided check that we receive sometimes, we view it as a teaser. Because it's something, I mean, who wouldn't want $100,000 to come to them in the mail? We would love that $100,000 to be real. But it's a teaser. And usually it says at the bottom, it has this fine print. And it says, valid in such and such states, uh, participating locations, if you do the following, if you sign up, if you agree to these terms. All of those things you have to agree to. But how many of you know that in Christ, the only thing that we had to agree through was getting saved? The moment we got saved, we became priceless. Priceless. And so all of a sudden, we're not a teaser anymore. We are not. We are actually valuable in the Lord's hands. In order for us to become valid and not void, the Lord's telling us that we also have to agree to something in fine print. That fine print is his word. We have to agree to follow, obey, and live by his word, which is what? Living an upright testimony, being able to do all that God says we can do. You see, in Genesis 1-2, and you can write this down, this is what void feels like. It says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. See, when you're a void, there's darkness. There's no form. But hallelujah, the Spirit of God still hovers over us. He's waiting to create something tremendous. He hovers over us. So if you're feeling void here tonight, and you feel like no one understands, and no, I mean, praise God for Kathy's testimony as she said, you took the time to call me. Because in that time, she felt voided. But someone took the time to call her. See how much a call can do for someone? Someone took the time. It goes beyond texting. Hello. Because I could imagine if Pastor Josie would have texted her, hey, Kathy, I'm here for you. That would not have made the same impact as picking up the phone and talking live to someone. Hello. I mean, I love texting. But I don't like texting when we got to talk. You know, it was like when the Sprint Nextel phones had the walkie-talkie things, right? You had to beep, and then you had to hear the whole thing before you could beep back and comment. For women, that was crazy. We got to interject every sentence or so. But see, God hovers over your situation. So you feel abandoned here tonight. I want you to know tonight he's hovering over you. He is hovering over your situation. He wants to bring you through. He wants to validate you. He does not want to leave you in a void state of feeling. In Isaiah 55, 11, it says God makes the voided check. Let me tell you how God makes the voided check valid. It says in 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent. He's given us his plan of action. He's saying, you think your life is not worth anymore? You think there's no meaning to it, but he says, because I will validate, it shall not be returned to me void. There, once you got saved, sisters, you don't turn back your life and say, I'm done. Because even if you were to leave the Lord, 
the hounds from heaven will come after you even fiercer. And you know who those hounds are? The other sisters in the church. With the calls. Even when you change your number. Even when you change your email carrier. They still find a way to get a hold of you. Because we know how to do that, right, ladies? And then it says, and that, we, that he will accomplish what he wants, what is pleasing to him. And then he says, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent. In comes your purpose. That's when your purpose comes in. Because when you finally understand that you are valid, you are worth something to Christ, it's so much easier to step into your purpose. It's so much easier to walk in wanting to fulfill your purpose. And so now enter in our Father tonight. Turn with me to Judges 11, 29 through 40. We're not going to read all the scripture, but I do want you to write that down so you can take it back and study it at home. But let's begin in verse 29. And this is the role model we're going to look at. At that time, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he led his army across the land of Gilead and Manasseh, past Misphath in Gilead, and attacked the army of Ammon. Meanwhile, Jephthah had vowed to the Lord that if God would help Israel conquer the Ammonites, then he, then when he returned home in peace, the first person coming out of his house to meet him, he would sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord. When Jephthah returned home, his daughter, his only child, ran out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Alas, my daughter, he cried out, you have brought me to the dust. For I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. And she said, Father, you must do whatever you promised the Lord, for he has given you great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me go up to the hills and roam with my girlfriends for two months, weeping, because I'll never marry. He said, yes, go. And so she did, bewailing her fate with her friends for two months. When she returned to her father, who, her father who did as he vowed, so she was never married. Now, here his daughter, I mean, I look at this father, Jephthah, and I thought, my goodness. If there was ever a man to fill void in his life, it was Jephthah. I want to tell you for the sake of time here tonight, study Jephthah. Study who his parents were. When you realize who his parents were and how he got discarded, you'll realize the voided feeling he had in his life. But here, for tonight, I want to really concentrate on his role as a father with his daughter. Jephthah had vowed. He had a walk with God. He had a, a relationship with the Lord. How do we know this? Because he kept his vow to God. He knew that no matter what, his word to God had to be gold. And he modeled this all of these years to his daughter. All these years since she was a little girl, he modeled this to her. And how do we know that? Because at the end of the story here, it says father, she doesn't rebel against her father. She doesn't come against her father. She says, Father, you must do whatever you promised the Lord. She did not, she even had to remind him because he gave you the great victory. And then she says, just let me go and mourn. And as he explained to her what the vow was, she saw his anguish in that vow that he had made. Now, a lot of people think that he sacrificed meant like he put her on an altar and burned her as they would sacrifice animals. But that's not what he did. See, there's a key word here in that scripture in verse 30. It says that sacrifice, that he would sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord. The key word there is as. As a burnt offering to the Lord. And so the sacrifice that he was willing to do, whatever came out of his house. Now, making a sacrifice to the Lord in those times with the animals, that was very sacred and very holy. And so he kept this sacrifice that whatever came out of his house 
was just as highly important as if it was going to be an actual animal that they would sacrifice. And so here, Jephthah sees his daughter. He tells her she comes out happy. She's a worshiper. She's playing the tambourine. She's dancing for joy. So she's got to walk with the Lord. How do we know this? Because her response to her father tells her, it tells us that her father modeled a life that was reverent to the Lord. Her father modeled a life where he pursued God. He wasn't perfect, but he really, really kept his word with God. So much so that it was even his daughter. Imagine your daughter coming out. And her being the one you have to now sacrifice as a burnt offering. How many of us at that point would say, anything else, Lord? The second thing that comes out of the house. The second thing. And maybe another kid comes out. Okay, Lord, the third thing. The third thing. How many times do we come to the altar and we ask the Lord and we feel set free and we feel broken? Perhaps you felt that way this weekend as you were in revival mode. And God spoke to you here at the altar. He touched your heart. And then all of a sudden you go back home and you're like, next week, Lord, I'll start next week. How about if the Lord was like, okay, now get up and pray. And you're like, okay, my prayer life is going to be rejuvenated, Lord. I'm going to get, but we still haven't gotten up and prayed. How about, okay, now join the Daniel fast. It's not too late. Now join the Daniel fast. And, like, and then today came, you're like, nah, next week, Lord, next week. Next year, Lord, when it comes around again. And it will. In this church, you know it will, right? <laughs> but no matter what it is, whatever the Lord, our word, our word, our testimony has got to be a value. It has got to be a value. I love this story because as I read it and as I studied it, I thought, man, that's what I want my girls to say about me. I want my girls in years to come if I ever say, okay, honey, you got to go now. We're sending you out to the mission fields as a missionary. I don't want my daughters to come back to me and say, oh, but mama, I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that. And and I, but you said you wanted the call, the, the mission fields, and we're ready to send you. Go, go. But I don't know. But mom, but, but I don't want, I want them to say, whatever, whatever, mom, whatever the Lord has for me, I want to do it. How about some of you here? You feel the challenge to join the worship team, to join the ushering team, the children's ministry. You feel the challenge, but you keep on shrieking back. And you keep on shrieking back. And the Lord says, come on, when are you going to do it now? And then it's enough when God tells you that, but don't let a sister come up to you and say, um, sister, you got three kids in children's church. It's three years now. Why don't you join now? Why don't you help out? I hear you singing all the time over there. Your voice is pretty decent. How come you're not on the worship team? You've been playing the guitar during Bible studies and our journey groups. How come you don't play in the church? We need more guitar players. And you're just shrieking back and holding back all that God has given you. And no, but not Jephthah, he lives a life where his daughter watched. And when the time came for her to choose, she didn't back out. She said, Dad, whatever you said, I will do. Imagine that. Ooh, I want my girls to talk to me like that. Mom, whatever you say, it's done. <laughs> Clean my room, piece of cake. <laughs> and not dust it under the rug, right? <laughs> not throw it all in the closet, but really clean. See, I believe that's how his daughter was. She wasn't half-hearted. She wasn't half-stepping in her conviction. The way she saw her dad's convictions were completely transferred over to her. She had the same convictions. And so here she went with her friends to bewail not ever having the chance to marry. And that was the sacrifice. She would never marry now here, why is this so important? Because in verse 34, it says that when Jephthah returned home, his daughter, and then it stresses, his only child, there was a stress on that portion of scripture. So here he's stressing. This was his only child. God will sometimes ask us to give up those very things, to sacrifice those very things that are so important to us. Sleep. Hello, you all want to go to sleep? Time, money, a commitment to something. 
And God's saying, sacrifice, sacrifice. But she was willing to do it. Now, some lessons that he modeled, he depended on the Lord. He sought the Lord for help. He was willing to sacrifice to the Lord anything. He kept his word to the Lord. And because of this, his daughter watched her dad all these years, from childhood to young adult life. And she never got rebellious with her dad's commitment. She agreed to the commitment. She willingly was also able to sacrifice. So she never married, and that was the sacrifice. She never had children, so Jephthah never had grandkids. This was his only daughter, his only child. Imagine that, and your lineage doesn't continue. But see, they still had a great legacy because from their relationship, I learned what kind of mother I want to be for my kids. I want my testimony to be upright. I want my testimony in life to count for something. And as we make ready with our video clip here, I want you guys to pay attention to this clipping because just as we looked at the lineage here, we're going to look at the lineage of our forefathers in this ministry. And I look at the whole religious scene today, and all I see are the inventions and ministries of man and flesh. It's mostly powerless. It has no impact on the world. And I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world. I see the music taking over the house of God. I see entertainment taking over the house of God. An obsession with entertainment in God's house, a hatred of correction and a hatred of reproof. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred that it becomes painful, acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you or around you. Anguish, deep pain, deep sorrow, agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk, but we've become so passive all true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, he would share his own anguish for what God saw happening to his church and to his people. And he would find a praying man, and he would take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah. Jerusalem is in ruins. How is God going to deal with this? How is God going to restore the ruin? Now, folks, look at me. Nehemiah was not a preacher. He was a career man. But this was a praying man. And God found a man who would not just have a flash of emotion, not just some great sudden burst of concern and then let it die. He said, no, I broke down and I wept and I mourned and I fasted. And then I began to pray night and day. Why didn't these other men, why didn't they have an answer? Why didn't God use them in restoration? Why didn't they have a word? Because there was no sign of anguish. No weeping. Not a word of prayer. It's all ruin. Does it matter to you today? Does it matter to you at all? That God's spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is now married to the world? That there's such a coldness sweeping the land? closer than that 
It doesn't matter about the Jerusalem that's in our own hearts. The sign of ruin that's slowly draining spiritual power and passion, blind to lukewarmness, blind to the mixture that's creeping in. That's all the devil wants to do is get the fight out of you and kill it. So you won't labor in prayer anymore. You won't weep before God anymore. You can sit and watch television and your family go to hell. Let me ask you, is what I just said convicted you at all? There's a great difference between anguish and concern. Concern is something that you, the biggest interest you. You take an interest in a project or a cause or a concern or a need. I'm going to tell you something I've learned over all my years, 50 years of preaching. If it is not born in anguish, if it has not been born by the Holy Spirit, where when you saw and heard of the ruin, it drove you to your knees, took you down into a baptism of anguish where you began to pray and seek God. I know now. Oh my God, do I know it. Until I'm in agony. Until I have been anguished over it. And all our projects, all our ministries, everything we do. Where are the Sunday school teachers that weep over kids they know are not hearing and they're going to hell? You see, a true prayer life begins at the place of anguish. You see, if you, you set your heart to pray, God's going to come and start sharing your heart, His heart with you. Your heart begins to cry out, Oh God, your name is being blasphemed. The Holy Spirit's being mocked. The enemy is out trying to destroy the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness and something has to be done. There's going to be no renewal, no revival, no awakening until we're willing to let Him once again break us. Folks, it's getting late and it's getting serious. Please don't tell me. Don't tell me you're concerned when you're spending hours in front of internet or television. Come on. Lord, there's some need to get this altar and confess. I am not what I was. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. God, I don't have your heart or your burden. I've been, I wanted it easy. Just want to be happy. But Lord, true joy comes. True joy comes out of anguish. There's nothing of the flesh will give you joy. I don't care how much money, I don't care what kind of new house there is. Absolutely nothing physical could give you joy. It's only what is accomplished by the Holy Spirit when you obey Him and take on His heart. Build the walls around your family. Build the walls around your own heart make you strong and impregnable against the enemy. God, that's what we desire. Did that move you guys? Well, I don't want it to move you. Because just in the scripture that we read, the key word in that whole passage of scripture was the word anguish, found in verse 35. When Jephthah saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. He knew what he had to do, and it was going to hurt him. But he had to do it anyways. How many of us even know that two weeks ago, the governor of California announced in public schools that we were now going to observe Harvey Milk Day? He was the gay mayor in San Francisco. And we are now going to have an official gay day that we will observe in public schools. How did this decision get passed? Where were the Christians? How come we didn't stand up? How come we didn't say no? It's a public school. It's one thing if it was a private school, but it's a public school. All public schools in the state of California on May 21st will observe this day to recognize gay and lesbians. How many of us are going to sit back and continue to let void hinder us from accomplishing all that God has for us? 
How many of us are going to continue to sit back and say, not me, Lord, pick her? How many of us are finally going to step up and get in tune with the Spirit and get in tune with the Word of God, get in tune with praise and worship, get in tune with the Lord? And when we get in tune with the Lord, you start to hear these things that are taking place around our cities. And how many of us are going to start rising up and actually doing something about it? See, I was an activist in high school and in part of college. But then when I completely understood Christianity and the power of it, I became an activist for the Lord. You can't stop me from telling people about Jesus. You can't stop me from telling people in my family about Jesus. You just can't stop me. I will tell strangers. I will tell family. I will tell my enemies. You just can't stop me. Because I understand what it was to be radical for silly things. And not that the Latino movement was silly. But it wasn't impacting, life-impacting, life-changing. I want to do something that's going to change someone's life. Their life, not just their future, but their life. Because if I can impact their life, guess what? Then I've got their kids. i got the grandkids. i got their future kids. I got it all down the road. But how many of us are willing to anguish for it? See, when we have to anguish just as Jephthah did, he, he was crying. He literally tore his clothes off. How many of us face situations where it's gotten us to the point where we're literally tearing our clothes off in prayer, ripping the word, God, I need you, I need you, I need you. I can't stand this depression, Lord, laying your hands on your head, praying for your sanity. But a lot of times we want to just take a pill and go right back to bed. I can't sleep. Insomnia. Do you anguish for the victory over that? Do you pray that God will see you through? We must treasure two and three. We must treasure the word of God. It's our blueprint. We cannot say, I didn't know how. Even if no one were to ever disciple you in this church, or in my church for that matter, you still have no excuse. Because you should be reading this. And this will tell you what you need to do. And if you're in tune with the Lord as you read this, guess what will happen? You will feel convicted. And you will feel compelled to go to someone and say, can you work with me? Instead of saying, no one works with me. No one asks me. Nobody call me. Those excuses don't work anymore. You keep saying, oh, one day my family will be here. But do you really anguish in prayer for them? Do you really go out of your way to invite them? Or do we just say, oh, I hope my family makes it. I hope my family makes it. Do you anguish for them? Do you really sincerely want them saved? See, God, the, pl the blueprint that he has detailed for our life, that's our plan of action. And it's right here. The word of God, it teaches us to fight like a soldier. 2 Timothy 2.3 tells us, you must therefore endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Good Christians are like soldiers who obey their commander. The word of God teaches us to prepare and compete like an athlete. 2 Timothy 2.5 says similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Some of you say, oh, there's too many rules in this church. There's too many rules to move up. Too many rules to be discipled. No, it's just called accountability. But nobody likes that anymore. Dislike. And you know, you know who that video clipping was from? David Wilkerson. Our spiritual grandfather for this ministry. Now, you got to take that to heart. Because Pastor Sonny, that was his spiritual father. We come from Nikki Cruz and David Wilkerson, some of the greatest men of all time. And for him, in all his years, he said over 50 years of being a minister and preaching the gospel, this day and hour is the time where he sees people in so much complacency. 
and not just over lost souls, but over their own family. Nobody wants to turn the TV off anymore, but we'll watch it for two hours. And we're so hooked on these reality shows. We'll watch The Biggest Loser for two hours, grand finale, Dancing with the Stars for two and a half hours. We'll watch it and watch it, but in the back of your head, you keep hearing the Holy Spirit say, pray. And we ignore it. And we say, tomorrow. Tomorrow. And then you get the call. So-and-so is in the hospital, your family. This and this happened. Man, I didn't pray, and God told me to pray. Not that it wouldn't have happened, but man, what could have happened if you did pray? We'll never know. The word of God, as I said in 2 Timothy 2.5, it tells us to compete as an athlete. Good Christians are like athletes who train hard to win. We must train hard. You cannot expect to be a winner if you never go into training. You can't win the race if you don't train. How do you train? You come to church. You read your word. You get discipled. You practice accountability. What does the word teach us? It teaches us, number three, to work like a farmer. 2 Timothy 2.6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Good Christians are like farmers who are willing to work hard and are willing to wait for their rewards. Sometimes we see things and other people get blessed and we want to jump in on their blessing without doing the work. Years went into prayer, hours of prayer, months of prayer, months of fasting. Years of fasting went to get that blessing. And we say, I want to get that, I want to get that, without putting in the hard work. We've got to be like a farmer. We've got to get out there and we've got to turn that soil in our hearts. We've got to plant the seed. We've got to allow people to plant things in our lives so that we can change. So when they point out areas, that's a seed that they just dropped on your soil, your heart. And they say, okay, you got to pray now. Try to bump it up to an hour now. But I can't. No, you can't. And they keep speaking over you like that. And the more you change, guess what happens? All of a sudden, the victory comes. A blessing comes. What you've been praying for is coming to pass. Only because you were willing to anguish in it. And tonight as you stand, I want us to be challenged tonight. To be just like Jephthah. Maybe you're not a parent. And you say, well, that doesn't really count for me because I'm not a parent. But guess what? There's still people watching you. There's people watching your walk. There's people watching how far you're going to go in Christ. There's people watching that. And so if you don't have biological children, or perhaps all your children are saved and serving God radically. But I want you to know tonight, God says you, your walk, make it count. I want my life to count. I'm only 35 years old, and I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface of what God has for my life. I feel like there's greater and more. And every day I wake up, even on my worst days, I still wake up saying, Lord, if you can use me today, use me. And I may say it murmuring or depressed on my hard days. But in those days, as I continue throughout the day, it changes. My attitude changes, and it changes, and it changes till I lay my head back down on that pillow, and I say, man, Lord, and I start weeping, and I say, God, I woke up so discouraged this morning, so discouraged. I don't want to wait for that joy to come in the morning, God. I need it now. I need it now, God. And sure enough, when I return back to my pillow, I feel good. Doesn't matter if all the bill collectors are calling all at once. Doesn't matter if I'm about to lose my home. Doesn't matter if I'm about to lose my car, lose my job. I lay my head down and say, Lord, I want to be a woman who sacrifices. God, those are all material things. They're material things. They're great. They're beautiful, Lord. And I thank you for giving them to me for that season of my life. I had that experience. But God, I'm thankful for this experience. 
thankful, Lord. I'm thankful for not having much, but so much in you. So tonight, as you bow your heads, I want to challenge you women. If this message ministered to you, and if you've ever felt like your life was not going to count, you experience a period of voidness in your life. And maybe you feel sometimes like, man, my testimony, my walk, it's got to count. I want to make a difference. And I'm going to challenge you to come up to this altar because we got three months left in this year. Three months left to make a difference for 2010. Three months left to say it doesn't matter what comes my way. I will anguish for victory in this year. I will anguish those goals I set out in the beginning of the year. I will truly, Lord, sincerely, Lord, sacrifice all I must. Sleep, time, my money, whatever. I will sacrifice, Lord. I will anguish. I want my marriage to be supernatural. I want my discipleship to be powerful. I want my marriage. I want my family. I want all that you have for me, God, to count like never before. Tonight, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. I know you just came out of a radical weekend. Let the Lord seal it for you here tonight, his daughters. No men are here. It's just for you, his daughters. And Jephthah had to do this to his daughter. So tonight, daughters, God wants to sacrifice. God is anguishing over you right now. With just a glimpse of your glory.